You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. We are in week two of our series, Biblical Advisory, Explicit Content. And you know what a rush it is. Just a shot of spiritual adrenaline when we stand and we sing these songs. And it's one we know and it's speaking to us and the music's great. And we're just inspired. We've got this spiritual rush. Well, what we want to do with this series is say, okay, let's make sure that everything we're singing about is actually playing out in my lives too. So when we come together and we say, hey, I'm going to build my life on your love. Well, let's be true to that Monday through Saturday as well. Or if we say, hey, I'm putting my trust in you alone. Well, that's a heavy statement. And we want to be true to that as well. So what we're doing is we're walking through John chapter 6. And last week I asked, would you please go ahead and put that as part of your devotional time or spend a 10 minutes with it and just read through John chapter 6. And I know by a show of hands, everybody played along and you all said, yes, amen, we did that. And that's what I did, yeah. Well, at least we don't have a problem with lying, right? Okay, yeah, no worries. So we're in John chapter 6 and Jesus is walking around, touching base with a few people and kind of the issue of the day is that Jesus has performed this crazy miracle where he fed a bunch of people with just a little bit of resources and now they're following him in other words he was able to do something for their physical makeup and now they're interested or they're kind of attached to the guy so Jesus goes on carrying out ministry he goes across this little sea here and the crowds follow him and when they catch up with him they're like hey 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 we want more of this and Jesus calls a timeout as any leader good leaders should do and he says wait a minute you know you're looking for me because I fed you but what you're looking for is really not what I want to offer and what I'm offering you really may not expect or want to hear and they're going to be met with reality and some of the stuff in John 6 it's actually going to be kind of offensive we talked about last week how near the end of the story some people say hey that's too much I don't want any part of this but I got kind of uh, confirmation this past week that we need to pursue this series. I was meeting with a young man, 21 years old, meeting with him at Starbucks, you know, my virtual office over there. And we're hanging out. And I had invited him into a conversation. I thought I was going to be there to support him, if you will, and bring him into a larger conversation that a few of us are having about violence, especially in the school system and what we can do about it, how we can speak into it or whatever. And I'm trying to build into this guy along the way and I realize, wait, this guy has a great mind. Maybe he should be teaching this sermon Sunday. So I'm listening into him and I'm asking him a few questions and he says, well, it's like this. And I said, do you mind if I write this down? I'm gonna write this down and use it. So I wrote his words down and he said, it's like this. If you take God out of the equation, then the moral guidance is whatever anyone wants it to be and he said the violence well if there's no moral guidance from God I'll find my value in how I live my life even if it's not ideal even if it is violent so as we walk through this series we want to rub up against some hard topics because it seems like God is being removed from the equation or the conversation so if you you know, just be patient, follow along with us, let's talk, whatever, but we are going to rub up against some explicit content, like last week with suicide, or maybe rub up against some strong language, 
or substance abuse or sexuality because what Jesus is offering, this love in which we want to build our lives, the way we trust him, it may not be necessarily what we want or expect and it becomes explicit to us, but we want to lean into it. So what happens is these guys are like, well, well, we want to do a bunch of stuff for you. Just, so just show us what to do, Jesus. And we entered the story in John 6. They said, what do we have to do? What do we have to do to do the plural works God requires? And Jesus answered, well, the singular work of God is this, to believe on the one he has sent. Let's think about that for a moment believe in the one the father has sent which is Jesus you remember last week we talked about there's one God there's one way to him and it's through his son well this idea of belief it's wrapped up in not just some like well yeah there's some historical evidence that this guy Jesus of Nazareth lived um well if I think about it if I'm pressed to really consider I guess there's you know there's kind of a God so yeah I believe in all that stuff it's it's less about that kind of belief and it's more of a belief that has movement to it if you will In other words, you bring everything you do when you believe in the one the Father has sent, Jesus, you bring everything about you to him. You bring your personhood, your personality. You as a person, you bring all of that. And it implies this movement of turning, if you will. And you know you can't turn from one thing without turning to another. So it has this movement, this belief affects action, if you will. Think about it. It's the old cliche example. What if the fire alarms start going off and, you know, and the sprinklers are pounding down on us and you're really convinced, you believe that this building is on fire, what are you going to do? You're going to move. There's going to be movement to it. So Jesus comes on and says, hey, you got to believe, but it requires action. There's movement. And then he goes on in the story and he says some stuff that's highly offensive, especially to his particular audience, them being Jewish people. Notice what he says. He says, I'm going to tell you the truth. Unless you, not just the bread that you're thinking about that I fed you with, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you actually have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood... Well, he has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. When you read through a little fun fact here for some of you just love this stuff. When you read through the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you read through Matthew, Mark, and Luke and you see that near the end, there's this story about the last supper where Jesus has this meal with his followers, right? That's not in John. So some scholars think this is John's theological way of laying out the last supper, John is recording Jesus as coming to it from this uh, intellectual perspective, if you will. And it's becoming offensive to these guys. But what's really going on here is what you and I do every week. It was really interesting. Over the course of about 10 days, I received multiple calls, texts, emails. And they were all centered around this common question. So why why do we, or why do you, if it was a visitor, or why do we, if you've been hanging around here for a while, why do we do communion every single week? And I was able to walk them through the fact that in the early church, every time you read about the church coming together and breaking bread, part of that wasn't just eating, wasn't just having a meal. Part of that was the Lord's Supper. This idea of realigning with Christ's redemptive work. And another fun fact, 
just about 20 or 30 years after John wrote Revelation, the last book in the Bible, we found some literature. Now, it's not Bible, okay? I'm not saying that. But it's about what the church was doing. And in this writing, it's called the Didache, which means the teaching. The church was teaching that when you meet together on the first day of the week, one of the most important things you do is you have the Eucharist, this Thanksgiving meal, or the Lord's Supper. So even the early Christians were doing this, and we want to carry on that. But you know what else? When you and I eat this bread, drink this juice, it's going to come around here in just a few minutes after the sermon, and you're going to take that little square piece of bread and eat it, that little bit of juice, and drink it. What are you doing? I know you're remembering Jesus and his death on the cross, right? And whether you think of it or not, whether it's directly or not, what are you also doing? You're affirming the reality of sin. Jesus came to this earth for one reason, and it was to reconcile you and I. It was to redeem us, restore us to this image of God in which we had been made in. He came to resolve the issue of sin. So when we take this bread and drink this juice, we're remembering that's part of this game of life. Sin is real. And some of you, some of you know just how real it is. Whether you've done something or something's been done by someone else to you, sin causes pain and damage. So Christ comes to redeem that. And part of believing in him means that we believe in that. Sin is real and it's destructive. And that's why we need a savior. Well, when you read eternal life, you look through this throughout the New Testament. When you see eternal life, there's a couple of qualities to it. By, you tell me, when you think of eternal life, do you think about now or sometime in the future? Yeah, future. Most of us do, right? Life eternal. Like when Jesus comes back, then eternal life kicks in. Or when I die, then eternal life kicks in. Well, actually the word eternal emphasizes quality above quantity. In other words, it's not just about something that's later, or as some of my older friends would say, some pie in the sky. It's not just about the future and then forever. It's about now as well. Actually, John just in the chapter before that underscores this. Notice what Jesus says. I'm telling you the truth. Remember last week, he says that several times. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has present tense, has eternal life. And he will not be condemned. He has crossed over already this morning from death to life. In other words, there's this quality and it's not characterized by the health and wealth that's kind of infusing the church. Instead, this quality of life is more about a you have a deep value for the voice of God or you are all about aligning with his authority or this increasing desire for how he has designed things and what is sin when you and I like the way we design things better and who doesn't want to be their own authority and our voice is the loudest one we hear sin kicks in and when that happens, it puts that separation between us and God. And you can feel it. There's not a one of us who hasn't sinned and we haven't felt it. 
So when you're thinking about sin, here's a, I want you to look at it from a couple of different angles. You can consider this two or three different ways. We talk about it being missing the mark, not being part of what God really wants for us and all that. But there's a couple of things going on with sin. Number one, sin, it can be caught. Number two, sin can be taught. And that's really why we're taking the time to do this series, Biblical Advisory explicit content. When you think about the idea of being caught, I want you to think of, and maybe you're actually here this morning and this is you. Life's going on, you know, you're checking your social media posts, you've got plans, uh, date night with a couple of friends, you're going to the movies, or you're switching careers, you've developed some new friends, life's just moving forward and then something comes, something happens and here are your thoughts. I never knew I was capable of something like that. I'm really not that kind of person. I never thought I would do something like that. There's a word in the New Testament for that. And it means to be caught off guard, to slip, to make a mistake, a mishap, if you will. It's not something that's premeditated. You didn't plan this out. On Sunday night, July 22nd at 7.30, this is what I'm getting into. It was just a perfect storm for you. And maybe that's you. And that's real. And we talked about last week how when confession and prayer come together, it brings about healing. So maybe for you this morning, it was a one-time deal, but it's caused some heavy, heavy pain. We want to create a safe opportunity for you to talk about it. I'll be down front at the end of the sermon. Love to connect with you. And if I'm not the right person, we'll get you connected to the right person. Because I know sin can be caught sometimes. Actually, the Bible says that. Did you know that? Galatians 6.1. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, there's a mishap, a mistake. It's a one-time deal. You who are spiritual should restore that person gently. But sin can also, it can also be taught as well. And one of the reasons we're doing this series is if you look at the news feeds, it seems like God is being removed from the conversation. And there's some sin that's being taught. I want us to do a rapid fire, just boom, 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 look at three verses. And what I want you to do is take note of the language. I just want you to see how the language is used because this is Bible. And if we're going to stand and sing to our great God, then we're also going to take his word for what it is. God breathed, God inspired, the Bible, the word of God. So here we go. First John 1 John 1.8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Remember last week, truth and reality were synonymous terms. So if we claim that sin doesn't exist, that it hasn't been part of our lives, we're not looking at reality. We're deceiving ourselves and trying to deceive those around us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful, he's just, and he will forgive. But it starts out with the reality that sin exists and we want to identify it and then confess it and move beyond it. Next verse, Colossians 3, 5. When you come in contact or you have that belief in Christ that requires movement, you put to death things that belong to the earthly nature. That's sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is basically idolatry. That belief isn't the basis of your relationship with God. That changing belief, if you will. 
So, you know, as a pastor, I take these moments right here to check in with you. Last week, we asked the question, is anything taking shape in your life that shouldn't be? Is there anything that you need to put to death today? And maybe you've got a handful of people or someone in your corner and they're teaching you that this sin is okay. Well, if you're here in the name of Christ, maybe it's not. Next verse, Romans 6. So what shall we say? And this one's really important. If you highlight any of them, make it this verse. Shall we go on sinning so that grace can increase? You know, I've got that safety net down there. So I'm just going to keep on hanging around over here because I like it. And I'm not convinced it's wrong anyway. So I'm just going to play around over here for a little while longer. God's got my back anyway. I mean, after all, God is love and he's full of grace. And I know at Northeast, one of their values is grace. So shall we keep sinning so that grace gets bigger and bigger and bigger? By no means. Because in Christ, we died to sin. So how can we live in it any longer? We can't. So the idea of a sin being caught and a sin being taught, that's why restoration can happen once something happens. But it's also why certain lifestyles or activities they can't coexist in a relationship with Jesus Christ because we can't go on sinning. So, don't want to make light of anyone's life at all. But I've got this phone case here. And I'm sure that several of you have one maybe like it. You can tell mine's been around the block a little bit maybe. It's got some paint on the front and back. It's scratched like crazy. And if you open it and you know this little slot where the phone slips in and kind of clicks, you know it's safe. It's been dropped a few times, so it's, it's broken here and here. So just any minute jostling and the, fall, the phone just falls out. And my phone has a few fractures on the front screen there. And I really like this case though, because if you open it, Credit card, license. Do you see how thin that is? Anybody familiar with the word frumpy? You open a lot of these cases and they're frumpy. They're just, they're too wide. I like to just be able to slide the card in there. No wiggle room. The card needs to just, you have to kind of press it in there. So I love this case. Well, my beautiful wife, she saw this. It's a disaster and everything. She buys a new case for me, a new screen protector and all that jazz. And she gives it to me. And it sits on my desk for about 10 days. It's brand new. It'll solve the problems I'm dealing with. But I can't do it. It took me 10 days to change my phone case. And I know it's just a phone case, and for you, it's probably more serious. So I'm not trying to make light of your life in any way. But I know that something as small as a phone case changes hard. So when we're dealing with some of the stuff that maybe you're wrestling with, struggling with, you've got some questions in your mind, maybe confusion, change is hard. And we understand that. And we want to meet you right where you are. So if you're wrestling with change, don't change, how do I get through this, whatever, again, I'll be down, we'd love to connect with you or connect you with the right person. 
I had poison ivy about a decade ago. I remember it so clearly. I was sitting in my office, leaned back in my chair. It's one of those where the top leans back a little bit. I'm leaned back. I've got this little patch of poison ivy just here on my forearm. You know, and Michelle, and you've heard all that stuff, you know, don't scratch it, don't scratch it, and all that stuff. But it itches, right? So I'm trying to scratch around it. You do do that when you have poison ivy? You scratch around it and hoping that the scratch will penetrate to the center. So I'm doing all that. It's not working, right? And I'm thinking, okay, I won't use my fingernails so I don't spread it or anything. So I open a water bottle. You know when you take the lid off and there's still those little jagged edges on the lid? Yeah, you see where this is going? Have you tried it? It was amazing. (laughs) Amazing. And I'm not spreading it. I can throw it in the trash and we're good. So I'm sitting there and I kid you not, 10 years ago, and I still remember this so clearly, I'm leaning back in my chair and I can't stop. And it starts to bleed. But it feels so good. Again, I'm not making light of your life in any way. But I know that some of the things that feel really, really good, and maybe they feel really, really right, they're actually causing you more damage or pain. Or they're opening up some wounds. And they're not really healthy or helpful. Even, even though they feel that way in the moment. We got a safe place here for you. Confession and prayer brings about healing. There's actually a word for that, you know, being able to change. The Bible has a strong, strong word for it. And it's called repentance. And it actually brings us back to that whole idea of movement. I can't turn away from one thing without turning towards something else. So the stuff that we don't want to change, even though we should, because we've already got some fractures from it, and we know it's not going to play out well in the end, or it just feels right or feels good, but I, I'm not sure. When you turn away to that stuff, you can turn toward the one who can really, really help you. This is what happened in the Bible in Acts chapter 2. You remember that story? Jesus, he's come on the scene. He's been crucified buried he's been raised back to life and now he's in heaven and there's a group of people hanging around and they're kind of talking about what went down and this guy Peter stands up he's listening to all the chatter and he stands up and he preaches and he actually convinces everyone around he convinces them that this guy Jesus and everything he taught everything he taught about himself or talked about that he really was the Christ he really was the Messiah he is who he claimed to be and the people buy into it and they're like we, we get the connections now. It makes sense. But what do we do? I mean, we killed the guy. What do we do? And just a brief timeout, 20 second timeout, not a full timeout, 20 second timeout. If you're here and you have any thoughts about you've done something so bad that God's done with you, these guys killed Jesus and there's hope for them. So let's talk. So Acts chapter 2, notice how the story plays out. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And that's what sin does. Or when you're met with the truth or the reality that this isn't or shouldn't be a part of your life. They were cut to the heart. They felt it. We would call that in the church conviction. You feel it. And that happens when you come face to face with the word of God. You feel it. So they're cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, what do we do? So Peter says, well, you change. You repent 
And then you come full force, full personhood toward Jesus. You're baptized in his name and your sins are forgiven. So when you think about repentance or change, I know it's hard, but we're here to help you with the question, what do we do? We want to help with that. So I was reading a book. If you love leadership books, this is the book to get. It's built on the Beatitudes from Matthew 5. It's called Trust Me. Trust Me. Fantastic book. I was reading through it, and one section just felt like the author was grabbing me by the collar and, you know, yelling at me to get this point across. And I felt a little convicted myself about it. And I was like, I need to take a close look at my life and ask a few hard questions. And I felt, then I felt kind of frustrated that I felt so convicted. And I was like, well, I'm going to share that with a church and grab them by the collar and, you know, scream into their face so that we're doing this together. But the author is Wayne Hastings, and he simply asks a few questions. How have you changed lately? Can you be very specific? Or must your answer be incredibly vague? You say you're growing. Okay. How? We not only value grace here at Northeast, we value this idea of growth, growing more and more into the image of Jesus Christ because we are building our lives on his love and we are trusting him alone and we are looking to him as the one the Father sent and we are putting our full personhood his way. So when we come in here and we sing and we get juiced and we're just praising God in worship, that needs to play out Monday through Saturday so as your pastor not critical not judgmental but out of love and care and maybe no one else in your circle of influence will ask you these questions how have you changed lately so we got this thing called the cycle uh, stages of change and don't get all freaked out about the visual here or anything I just want you to see the bubbles you don't have to worry about any of the content or anything like that just look at the bubbles and if you're a counselor in here my good friend Brian Manning um, walked me through this uh, some time ago and it's a phenomenal thing we can talk more about it if you want to sometime but basically the idea goes like this before someone changes they're not even thinking about it like a few moments ago you've got plans tonight you're going to the game You've got an interview that you've got to get care for. Or you're caring for a sick friend. You know, I'm not thinking about how to change my life or drastically do anything different. So you're not even thinking about it. And then it goes into, wait a minute. I need to think about that. This is becoming a pattern in my life and it's not playing out. It's not helping me. And then there's some other bubbles like, okay, you start to prepare to change and you make an action plan and you do some stuff to change and you try to maintain that. And then what happens is uh, maybe you keep it going and maybe you don't. Maybe you have a lapse or a relapse. But what I want us to do is focus on these two bubbles. I don't need to change. Maybe I need to change. And what Brian pointed out to me is that there, something usually happens right here and it gets our attention. Sometimes it's something tragic. And sometimes it's a Sunday morning sermon series. But something happens and it gets our attention in a fresh way. And then we start to consider, maybe I do need to change. So they call this pre-contemplation and then contemplation. And I think that's beautiful because that aligns right with the Gospel of John, chapter 6. Notice what Jesus says. Verse 44. 
no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Draws him. When has it ever been a good idea in the minds of you and me as sinners to say, you know what, I'm getting up next morning and I'm changing my life and I'm going to become a Christian and reach out to God. Does that thought originate with humans who are so in love with ourselves? It comes from God. And he uses sometimes a Sunday morning or maybe he uses whatever's going on in your life to say, hey, I'm tapping you on the shoulder. This is not the quality of life that you should be experiencing as a follower of me. Okay? This word draws him. Anytime you read it, it comes uh, with a connotation of resistance. There's always resistance involved. And maybe there's some resistance from you this morning. You feel God tapping you on the shoulder. And maybe actually, if you're honest, you've been wrestling with something for some time now. And if you're really honest, you're like, you know what, I've been taught that. We want to teach you something different. We want to teach you about the quality of life that you can experience that can bring you more fulfillment than anything you could ever find on this earth. This is what we want to introduce you to. So let me talk as we finish up here. Let me talk to three groups. Uh, Group number one, if you're young, and I'll let you decide whether you fall into that camp or not. If you're young or fresh to the faith, if you're young or fresh to the faith, I want to talk to you. So I heard, um, have you heard the buzz about this comment that went down at Cultivate, our young adults group? If you haven't, it needs to become the buzz. When I heard it, my jaw dropped. I was like, what? That's awesome. And again, it's from a very young guy. And the conversation was rolling in the group. And this guy, Ben Hand, he's sometimes our stage manager. He'll bring the TV out and everything. He dropped this line. I mean, just threw down some truth. He said, well, if you're connected to Jesus, if you really believe in him, then you've chosen heaven over hell. But have we really chosen heaven over earth? Mm. Is that heavy, deep, or what? That's profoundly accurate. Because you look out at our world, and I tell you, youth especially, Michelle and I have had this conversation before, there's no way in the world we'd go back to our teenage years. There's no way. I know I'm approaching 40, bring it on, baby. There's no way I'd go back and be in high school or early college again. There's struggles out there for you. You've got it rough and we're here for you. We're here for every single one of you. We wanna come alongside you. We'll be prayer partners with you. We will help coach you, we'll help guide you. We will create a safe place for you to ask hard questions or if you have concerns or if you have disagreements with the setup of church or if you have questions about God or faith or scripture or Jesus, you've got a safe place here. And that goes for you who are fresh to the faith as well. I tell you, the older I get, 17 years deep into my marriage, four children, and you know my story, it's not flawless by any means. It's got some rough patches in it. But the more, uh, every day that goes by, the more and more convinced I am that Christianity, the Bible, the word of God, it works. It works, and rightfully so, because all it is is God drawing us back to him, even though there's resistance. There's God drawing us back to him, into that image 
that we were originally created in. No wonder it works. So we're here for you, okay? Developing. If you're a developing believer, you know, you've been at this for a while, hanging around church for a while, starting to get your footing, you're learning the lingo, stuff like that. Can I ask you to make something a part of your learning experience, a part of your faith journey? And it's the fascinating topic of conflict resolution. I mean, can I get an amen? Is that like a wonderful, does that excite you? Yeah, yeah. So I've asked this question in numerous groups before and I'm curious about the response we'll get today. I think I may have asked this some time ago. Let's see if it's changed. By a show of hands, how many of you had a parent or a pastor or a coach or someone, maybe a teacher, come alongside you when you were young and said, hey, I'm gonna teach you about how to resolve conflict. And we're gonna go into a little detail so that you're equipped to do it. Because later on in life, when you're married and you have a job or you're connected to a church, you're gonna have conflict probably every day of your life. So I'm gonna help you out now. By a show of hands, how many people had that happen? I'm looking at maybe six people. First group I've ever had anybody raise their hand. Nobody raised their hand in first service. We don't talk about it. And then we're thrown into the middle of it. About a week ago, a guy reached out to me and said, hey, want to grab some coffee? Just got a couple of concerns I want to walk through. And we met, talked, spent an hour together. The first five minutes, the conflict was resolved. We spent 55 minutes talking about classic rock music. I mean, it was just amazing. And I don't think some people, when you have conflict, if you don't know how to work through it, I don't think some people get to experience the beauty and the strength, and the health, and the camaraderie that comes after you reconcile with someone. But before we even started our conversation, I said, hey, before we dive into this, I just want to say one thing. Thank you for coming to me. You didn't have a concern, so you went on to social media. You didn't have a concern, so you went to this group. You came to me, and that's awesome. So can, can we do that? Because when I look at our world, it's a conflict resolution issue. It's like nobody knows how to do it. Let's set the bar a little higher for that. Can we do that? If you're up for that, this fall, Wednesday Night Connections, we're doing an eight-week intensive on the basics of conflict resolution, whether you're in a church, whether you're in a business, just in society, a family, wherever, all these principles apply, and we'd love to build you up and equip you with that. Uh, last group, those of you who would consider yourself mature Christians, to all the mature Christians out there, I have two words for you. Thank you. Thank you so much for setting the bar at just the right height to where we all, ha we all have something to reach toward. But we also know what's attainable too. And we know that you're not perfect, but you're setting a great example for us. So everyone who is really building your life on Jesus, and you're showing us that there is hope, and if we trust you, that even though it feels good or right, there's something else. And even though you got to make a crazy change, and sometimes it's not that big of a deal, and sometimes it is, that change can happen. And it can work out. And we can experience that quality of life that we were created to experience. Thank you for that. So as we close, what I want you to do is go ahead and stand up. Go ahead and stand up. Why does everybody always have a problem with that? I don't want to stand up right now. You're going to stand up in just a minute anyway. 
So here's what we're going to do. This is a prayer, a written prayer, not my words, okay? But we had to read a prayer, a written prayer from history in one of my college classes. And I remember somebody using this prayer. I really don't even know who the author is. But it blew me away. And I thought if there is an applicable time for us to read it, it's this morning. Now here's what I want you to do. I don't know if you're like me, but if a prayer lingers on like 30 or 40 seconds, I'm out. I'm thinking, okay, I want pepperoni and sausage on my pizza. And I'm, so maybe that's you too. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read it and just ask that you give your best effort to hear the words. That's all. You bow, close your eyes. This is our final prayer for the service. I have one more word for you when we're done. And then we're going to sing. And some of you are going to sing these lyrics because you believe them. You've experienced them. And you know that it is in Christ alone that your hope has been found. And it's been the best decision you've ever made to turn toward Him with all of your personhood and believe in Him. That's the work of God. It begins right there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today to ask your forgiveness and seek your direction and guidance. We know your word says, woe to those who call evil good, but that's exactly what we've done. We have lost our spiritual equilibrium. We've inverted our values and we confess that. We have ridiculed the absolute truth of your word and we've called it pluralism. We have worshiped other gods and called it multiculturalism. We have endorsed perversion and called it an alternative lifestyle. We have killed our unborn and called it choice. We have shot abortionists and called it justifiable. We've neglected to discipline our children and called it building self-esteem. We have abused power and called it political savvy. We have coveted our neighbor's possessions and called it ambition. We have polluted the air with profanity and pornography and called it freedom of expression. We have ridiculed the time-honored values of our forefathers and called it enlightenment. Search us, O oh God, and know our hearts today. Try us and see if there be some wicked way in us. Cleanse us from every sin and set us free. We ask in the name of your Son, the living Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, we're a church. We're a church of we-haves. We have done some stuff, me included. And we felt the pain of that. And we've seen the pain of that playing out maybe in the lives of other people. But we also, we have been set free. And some of you know exactly what that feels like. We have experienced the one in who our hope is found, Jesus Christ. If that's you, sing and worship him full voice. If not, take a look around you and know that there are other people who have found their hope in Christ, the one the Father has sent. And that's available for you right now. Even though there's resistance, maybe the Father's tapping you on the shoulder. And it's time for a change.